Welcome to the Parenting with Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Alexander Inman, here today with Miss Megan Connor. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome, Megan. Um, I really appreciate you being here, sharing a little bit about your story, and then we'll talk, we'll focus on healing because, you know, I, so everybody has a story, right? And it's not the story that matters so much, I believe, but the journey to healing, giving people real tools and tips to get to that, to healing. Yeah. Um, So, but what I'm going to do, I'm just going to read this and I'm going to read it. This is from your perspective. So I'm just going to read this briefly and then we'll just dive in just to let people know a little bit because I love what you say here. Um, So you suffered from depression for many years and tried many different types of treatment. One day, um, so I'm just going to read it as Megan wrote it. She said, one day when I told my therapist how angry I was at one of my abusers, he asked me, what does anger say about you? Megan responded, I was baffled. Well, your response was you were baffled. Until that point, her focus had been on the way others had treated her rather than how that treatment made her feel about herself. I think that is so powerful, Megan, because we're so often looking, you know, they did this to me and this and that, but that will that change anything? Probably not. <laughs> right. So tell us a little bit about your backstory. Please just, you know, um, whatever you're comfortable to share, and then we can just move forward. Sure, sure. So, I mean, I was, um, you know, uh, as a child, uh, went through some really traumatic things as a child, um, as the victim of sex trafficking as a young child. And then my family of origin was not really a healthy emotional place. And so, um, you know, as I got older and started to build my own life, I started gravitating towards things that felt comfortable and familiar to me. And what felt comfortable and familiar to me was um, emotionally unsafe environments, chaotic patterns, and, you know, places just where I wasn't valued. So I ended up in a lot of different situations I ended up having to remove myself from later on in my life. So um, I was married, I had six children, I was a teacher, and got to a point where I physically couldn't handle the trauma anymore. And so I started suffering from depression and panic attacks and anxiety, and finally went into therapy to get help. And that's where my healing journey began. Wow. And you know... You mentioned sex trafficking as a child. You know, so many people think, oh, it's not going to happen to me. And, um, you know, thank you for sharing that because it's really important that we look to keep our children safe, especially in these times. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. And I, I applaud you for being where you are today, coming from where you've come. And for mentioning also the fact that that feeling became comfortable for you. Cause I don't think people realize that these, you know, they're like, well, how could you want to feel that way? Or what would you put yourself? It became a pattern in your brain. It became comfortable. So, you know, it's so important that we create those safe spaces for children so that they don't get comfortable in these situations that are potentially dangerous. Right. Right. And when we treat our children with, kindness and respect, and we treat them as individuals rather than extensions of ourselves, 
they that's what they become comfortable with. They start learning that they need to be treated with respect and they and they start learning that their value as an individual is high. And so they'll seek out those kinds of relationships and they'll seek out people who are going to validate them and make them feel important. Absolutely. And what are some of those ways that you found to help children feel that way, to prevent them from, you know, those other situations? I think one of the biggest ways is just um, honoring, uh, honoring mistakes, allowing mistakes to happen and being very communicative about my own faults, my own shortcomings with my children so that I make it safe for them to fail. So when they do make a mistake, they feel comfortable coming to me and saying, oh, I really messed this up. Can you please help me with this? Rather than feeling ashamed of sharing that um, because that kind of starts this toxic pattern of hiding and secrecy and everything. Oh my gosh. So, so true. Thank you. Thank you for sharing because you know, a lot of times as parents, we want to react and, you know, we're like, oh, how could you? And not remembering that we ourselves have made many, many, many mistakes mm-hmm. and just showing that same grace, the grace that we didn't receive extended right. to our children. Right. Wow. And, you know, you mentioned that your children are spectacular human beings. So <laughs> you did that now. So first of all, you did not you know, overreact and you were a safe space for them to come to when they made mistakes. Um, Any other strategies that you used? Well, I do have to say, you know, parenting was an evolution for me because I began parenting the same way that I was parented. And so I'm a very different mom now to my kids, my two kids who are still at home than I was to my four kids who are now grown and adults. And so um, sometimes I feel you know, their grief, honestly, for that time that I was not the kind of mom that I wanted to be. And um, my adult children and I have frequent conversations about that, you know, that, oh, I wish I had handled this, this other way, and modeled this better for you so that you knew how to do that going forward. So definitely parenting is still, it's still something I'm learning how to be good at. (laughs) Well, of course, you know, I mean, even the, the devices we're talking on, you know, and seeing each other on, they came with instructions, right? (laughs) Your your children didn't. So it is always an evolution. I mean, I have the same conversation with my son, you know, I asked him, I was like, you know, because I'll ask for forgiveness a lot. And he's like, but mom, you did a great job. Like I, and I see the mistakes. I see the things that I could have done differently. And honestly, I want a do-over knowing (laughs) what I know now though. I don't don't want to put them through all that other stuff that thankfully they don't remember, but, um, or don't focus on and then focus on the positive because it is tough. Yeah. It is. And I, you know, I, I think that that it's important for us as parents to realize, you know, that we don't know everything, but there are a lot of resources out there for us. You know, when I first started parenting and I was just sort of doing it the same way that I'd been treated, I I came to this realization that I didn't want that kind of relationship with my children. I wanted them to trust me. I wanted them to feel safe with me. And so I did start reading and researching and looking at other parents and uh, reading books and just trying to find better ways to do what had already been done, you know, and uh, it's still, it's, it's a continual learning process. 
It certainly is because every time you parent, you're actually parenting a new child. Like, you know, cause you've never parented a three-year-old then you've never parented a four-year-old and it just goes on and on and on. Right. Right. And even when they are, you know, six children from the same genetic makeup and from the same environment, they're going to be completely different human beings. And what works with one is not going to work with another one. So you do kind of have to relearn for the individual that they are and for their personality and their tendencies and their strengths and weaknesses. And it's like figuring out a whole new puzzle every time. Oh my goodness. So true. And I tried to take the easy way out because I thought if I parented both my children the same, then one won't feel that I favor the other, not realizing I'm doing each of them a disservice because I'm not parenting them individually. And right. yeah, I had to learn that. I mean, I dressed them the same. I did everything. People would ask, are they twins? I mean, even if they are twins, do they need to be dressed the same? You know, because <laughs> they're still individual children. So yeah. Yeah, I I did some of the same things. And then, you know, my kids sort of got into this this mindset that all kids do where they're like, it's not fair. And so a big, huge mantra of mine with my kids growing up was like, fair does not exist. Fair doesn't mean that everybody gets the same thing. It means that everybody gets what they need. Because, you know, if Christmas time came around and I bought everybody the exact same thing for Christmas, some of you'd be happy and some of you'd be really upset. <laughs> and so there's no way to make it exactly fair, but I promise you're all going to get what you need. Absolutely. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings, fair is not equal, because if we try to be fair, then, you know, what are we doing? You know, the child who listens and does the things um, needs different treatment than the child who doesn't, you know, because then, and I have that argument with parents, well, not really argument, but discussions, you know, well, I just felt it wasn't fair to him for me to reward his brother, not me, but I'm thinking, what are you rewarding him for? you know, for making things and for, you know, being disrespectful and, you know, so we have to take it, you know, we have to think differently and then understand too, the child who's doing that, he's crying for help and we need to give him different help than the child who isn't, right? Because I don't believe that there are any bad children every child is communicating their need in a different way. Right. That's true. And the child who quote unquote, isn't listening, maybe just needs to be talked to in a different way. Maybe they're just not hearing you because you're not saying it the way that resonates with them. So it's like figuring out what works for them and how to communicate better. Absolutely. And Often as parents, though, I find, you know, we communicate from up here instead of getting down here with our child and really looking at them and and trying to get an understanding of what they're going through. Um, and especially in cases of trauma, right? Because your brain gets wired a certain way and you behave in ways that you may not even understand, like gravitating towards those relationships because of the fact that that's been comfortable. Right, Exactly. And we, we do, as parents, we need to be vigilant about changes in our children's behavior, and we need to be vigilant about the adults in their lives and have one-on-one conversations with all those adults who spend alone time with our kids, because those are the ways that we discover things that are perhaps inappropriate relationships or things that are damaging our kids. 
Yes. And um, tell me, because I know it from the time you said that, I kind of cringed a little bit because I know that's an uncomfortable conversation to have. Um, how would you start that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it, it's come up several times with my own children and, um, you know, in lots of different ways. And as we talk about, every kid is different. So not everything is going to work with with every kid. But I think just starting the conversation by saying that, like, I'm not really sure how to talk about this or how to ask you this question, but it's really important to me that you stay safe. And so I want to talk about some things that might make you feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And when the first time this came up with one of my own children, um, I said, look, I know that you spend a lot of time with this person. And I know that you guys have fun because we always talk about the, the things that you guys do together. I just want to make sure that you're safe. So have this has this person ever made you feel uncomfortable in any way and sometimes they're just going to say no because like the conversation's uncomfortable and they want to escape but asking that sort of same question lots of different ways mm -hmm. um, just are you being treated respectfully are they using good clean language around you those kinds of things you know are they making you feel safe and comfortable all the time or are there sometimes when there are things maybe you don't want to do but they sort of pressure you into doing it or you don't feel like saying no or it's just too uncomfortable to say no just continuing that conversation and coming back to it in different ways at different times because once you have that first conversation the really uncomfortable one where they're like I don't want to answer these questions when you come back to it from a different angle they get a little more comfortable each time mm -hmm. Wow. So, so important. It actually made me think of a really sad situation that um, I worked in juvenile justice and these two young men who were being, I don't know, groomed and raped by this man ended up taking their dad's life because, mm -hmm. yeah, because this person convinced them to do that um, in some way or other from what I understood the situation to be in speaking with the young man. And they they felt safe with this person, even though, and he would say, yes, you know, he did this and in the beginning, it didn't feel right, but then now I really like him. And I, you know what I mean? And it just, it's yeah. just, you know, and having, and I know the dad tried to have those conversations and it just, it, it just turned out so sad. I mean, yeah. and I don't even know why I brought that up because it just makes me feel like, gosh, but it happens though. That's the sad part. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, we as parents, no matter what we do, we're not going to be able to protect our children from every single situation. And we're not going to always be able to protect them from harm. And my own parents had no idea what was happening when I was being trafficked. And that's not their fault. You know, there definitely was, you know, a lack of that emotional connection in my household, but an emotional connection would not necessarily have saved me from that situation. So we as parents, you know, we, we have to do the best that we can with the tools that we have at the time that we have them. And we have to forgive ourselves for the things that we may lack in whatever area. And if something bad does happen to one of our children, we have to forgive ourselves and realize that, you know, we're, we're not going to have all of the tools that we need all of the time. And sometimes our kids are going to get hurt and sometimes they're going to be in small ways and sometimes they're going to be in big ways. I think what's more important than trying to quote unquote, save our kids from every situation 
is being a safe person and a safe place for them when the bad things do happen, because they are going to happen. They're going to have failures and disappointments and sadness and heartbreak and all kinds of things, all the things that we went through, you know, and possibly sometimes more and different. So the only thing we really can do is create that bond with our kids that lets them know you absolutely are a safe person to come to and that you're going to respond with kindness and respect and that you're going to help them get what they need to heal. And I think that's more important than trying to prepare for every single eventuality because we can't possibly do that. Right, exactly. Because the world is just so full of different things. And like you said, just preparing them and being that person that they can come to. Um, that is so key. So, so important. Um, you know, and again, it's, you know, I just want to emphasize it's not, it's not judging their children or judging themselves, right? Because like right. you said, we're all doing the best we can with what we know and what we have. And, and I think sometimes too, we fail to act because we're thinking of, you know, just what, you know, like, what's that going to look like, feel like, and, you know, and of course you're also using your history in that situation. How did my parents react? Right. And my thing is, if the parents, if your parents didn't react in a way that served you, then maybe we need to think of a different way to handle that situation. Right. Right. And I liked what you said earlier about being for our kids, what we didn't have, you know, when we were growing up. And if we kind of focus on, um, you know, meeting our kids needs, maybe in ways that they weren't met for us, that's one of the things, that's one of the ways that we can sort of break those generational cycles of either not knowing or not feeling or not doing or whatever it was that came up. Yep. So true. And then also it, it means also forgiving our parents because they were also doing the best they could with what they knew and what they had. Right. Right. And when you think about, you know, our, our generation of parents who had much less awareness about mental health, they had much fewer tools to deal with these kinds of things. And, therapy modalities were so stigmatized and, you know, medications weren't widely available. And when you think about all those things, you really do have to be compassionate with them because they had so fewer resources than we do now. And, uh, you know, a lot less social support. Oh gosh. Yes. Yes. Cause you know, it's always, what are the neighbors going to think or say or whatever? Cause you know, it was, yeah, life was just so different then. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And, you know, again, it's just really important and I can't say it enough, you know, cause you talk also about self-care to do, to make sure that you're caring for yourself so that you can show up for your child. Right. And that was one of the big reasons why I ended up in therapy was because I couldn't be the kind of mom that I wanted to be and still be dealing with all of these traumatic feelings and triggers and things like that. So I think a big part of my therapy journey and definitely the reason why I was able to go all the way through and, and get healing was to be a better mom and to be able to show up for my kids in the way that they needed me. And so it's kind of, it's kind of funny how that happens, you know, sort we sort of put ourselves last, but if there's something our kids need, well, then we'll do it for that reason. <laughs> so true. And not understanding or realizing that 
we have to put ourselves first so we can put we can really take care of them because a lot of times we think oh you're being selfish you know i really should go for a massage but no my children need whatever and do they really need that or do they need you to be your best self for them right it's definitely the latter i can attest to that you know if you're if we if we are not our best selves then we're not going to show up in the way that our kids need us to so it's always better to, to, uh, you know, put on our own air mask first before we try to assist other people. That's, it's good lesson for, for parenting in life. It so is. And then the other thing too, though, you're also modeling for them how they, you know, a way that they could handle their stress because we all, you know, it's inevitable that they'll have stress, but if they say, oh, when mommy gets stressed, she goes for a massage or she goes out for a walk or she, you know, dances or whatever it is, then there is that model for them instead of internalizing it and then not knowing what to do with it later. Right. Right. And I love it when I see that modeled. And I love it when I see young kids saying things to their parents, like, I really need some time alone right now. (laughs) You know, I'd love to see that. Yes. Oh gosh. Because now they're realizing what they need. Cause uh, so often we tell them, Oh, do this, do this, do this, do that. And I, I try to tell parents, let them come to that decision themselves because then it's first of all, more empowering and it will be more effective because they're not being forced to do it. Right. If they're coming up with their own ideas of what they need, then that's really teaching them to trust their own instincts and to trust their own intuition about what what it is that they need rather than to be told, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I was actually reading something recently, you know, children are so intuitive, but then we we rob them of that. We take that away from them because we're always, you know, oh, you know, wondering what people are going to think or telling them what to do or think that we know better than they do, you know, about what they should be doing. And, you know, then they learn not to follow intuition and which could be a little problematic later on. Right, exactly. And and it's kind of like what we were talking about before, when you put kids into a specific sort of box or set of parameters, and you try to make that the same for everybody. Um, you know, it just doesn't work because we're individuals and we need different things. So teaching our kids that they are unique and teaching them that their needs are unique, and they're going to be different than other people's needs from an early age really helps them to develop that intuition about themselves. Right. And it's okay to be different. <laughs> you know, we want them to embrace their difference because were we the, all the same, how boring would life be? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to see our differences as strengths, you know, and as, as a positive character quality rather than something to be stifled. Yes, absolutely. You know, I remember uh, my son's having a conversation saying that together they were the perfect person because mm-hmm. one was this way and the other one was that way. And I was like, they came to that, even though I tried to te- treat them differently and make, I mean, the same and mm-hmm. make sure that they, one didn't feel favored or whatever. That was my hang up, you know? And yeah. then later they were like, you know, when um they were in their teens and they're like man together we're the perfect person because one of them's very you know it's like just do it you know kind of like we jump off the bridge and build his wings on the way down then the other one more thoughtful and planning and you know and so they really complemented each other Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It's so interesting. I love it when kids sort of realize their own strengths and character traits, the things that they like about themselves. Yes. And gosh, how powerful is that for them to realize that there are things about themselves that are likable and they embrace those things and even embracing the things that they may not like, because hello, you know, you know, we need both, right? (laughs) Exactly. And all of us have parts of ourselves that we think are great and parts of ourselves that we dislike. Perhaps most of the time, it's like we are taught to dislike those parts about ourselves. I think it's so important to teach kids. And this is, again, this is something I'm learning myself too, about not assigning a value judgment to the parts of myself, you know, and just to embrace that part, to honor their role in my development in my life, because, you know, I have a part of myself that um, wants to protect me, you know, so that, so that part will come out as anger or you know as retaliation Mm -hmm. and so I have to say thank you for showing up today I appreciate you being here because you're teaching me what's important to me but right now I need you to step back so that I can be compassionate you know yes yes because if you don't you know like that saying what you resist persists so embrace it and like you said it's it's there to protect you right And sometimes what may look like, oh, you know, like there's a situation and you may not necessarily need protection, but your, you know, your amygdala is like, okay, but you know what, this, it feels familiar and let's, we need to do something. And you kind of just need to say, calm down. It's like, you know, your coffee machine's not working. And all of a sudden it's like, ah, (laughs) it's really going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, that survival part of our brain, you know, sort of that like very base lizard part of our brain that just comes out and wants to take over everything because that's what we're hardwired for. We're hardwired to survive and to protect ourselves. But those parts of ourselves are maybe not as refined as the compassionate side and the thoughtful side and all those things. But that doesn't mean that they're bad. We need those parts to protect us but we don't want them to be in charge of everything. And so we have to learn to honor their role and then maybe make their role a little smaller as we learn to sort of manage those emotions. Absolutely. And what are some ways that you've found to help you manage? So you talked about the self-talk, like, you know, talking to that part of you and saying, okay, you know, thank you, you know, and acknowledging and honoring. Um, What are some other ways that you found helpful. Yeah, I think for me personally, the the thing that I focus on the most is trying to name my emotions as they come up and to recognize why that emotion comes up, try to sort of dig back through my memory banks and say, why is it that I would feel threatened in this situation? And so that I can connect it to something. So when I name my emotion and I connect it to an experience and I honor it, it seems like it passes more quickly And so it's easier for me to manage than if I just try to stifle it down and say, I don't have time to feel that right now, you know, or I don't want to feel that right now. I just don't want, I just want to, you know, numb somehow, turn on a TV show or something like that, rather than working through it in the moment. I find that to be really helpful. And the other thing is, you know, just to be patient with myself, because when new emotions come up and I'm not able to name them, or I'm not able to process them really quickly or whatever, I just have to give myself that grace of saying like, this isn't going to go perfectly every time. 
Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. Cause it won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It certainly won't, but yes, it's so important because we tend to give other people grace and not ourselves because we're always, you know, we tend to be more compassionate and understanding when somebody else is going through something. And sometimes we go through the identical thing and we're like, oh, you know, like beat ourselves up for what? (laughs) Yeah. One of the most effective things that my very first therapist taught me was to think about what if one of my children was going through this situation? What would I say to them? Or how would I help them? How would I show up for them? Because it is so much easier for for us to show up for other people, especially for our kids, because we care so much about their mental health and their well-being. And so I often have to reframe something, thinking of it like, what would I say to my best friend? Or what would I say to my daughter if she was going through this exact same thing? And it's a lot easier for me to come up with a compassionate response that way than if I'm just trying to think of myself. Yes. And it's sad though, right? (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) But if it works, you know, to do it that way, then, you know, that's better than not being able to do it at all, I guess. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I think as parents, it's just the way that we're wired um, to you know, to think of, because again, we want to protect our children and we want to make sure that we're there for them and, you know, they're okay. So it's easier to put, to, you know, to put ourselves in their shoes than to say, oh, um, I need this and this is what, you know, serves me kind of thing. Right. So, yeah, but, you know, being a parent is, it's beautiful and it's scary, and it's challenging, and it's, you know, (laughs) but we wouldn't trade it. (laughs) No, definitely not. I mean, it's, it is, it's such a difficult thing, and it's an evolution, but um, I think I've learned more from being a parent than I have even from my own experiences, you know, because when we are dealing with, you know, little individual human beings who are just trying to experience the world in a safe and happy way, it's like, you know, that's, it's something that we can't, we can't learn those things just through our own experiences. You know, when we see the world through the eyes of our kids and see it from this standpoint of, you know, I used to think that they came a certain way and, you know, that they sort of were a blank slate and that we put all these things on them and sort of ruined them. And the more that I interacted with their different personality types, I realized, no, they, they come who they are you know, and it's our responsibility as parents not to, to stifle that down and to put them into an acceptable box, Mm -hmm. but to help them to experience the world and, and to sort of be their guide as they come through the world. And not necessarily that we're the one who knows everything and we're going to teach them everything because sometimes they are very perceptive about a situation that we didn't quite understand, you know, they have a lot to teach us. And if we'll just sort of guide them through their lives and help them find the best things that that are going to make them happy, then we learn a lot on the way. Oh, gosh, yes. And we have to be open to that, right? It's yeah. so important to understand because, you know, and growing up, it was, you know, like the adults knew better. 
Right. right. And then I know for me, like, I remember one day I said to my son, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Thank you for teaching me that. He's like, you're my mom and I'm teaching. I said, sweetheart, it's a two-way <laughs> street. You know, we learn from each other because when they learn something, you know, whether it be at school or just whatever, and we talk about it and, you know, they felt like to see the look on their faces when I told them that they taught me something, Mm -hmm. it was and I mean it was totally by accident it's not like I I was this like amazing mom who knew all the right things to do and say a lot of it was accidental things just float jumped out of my mouth and I'm like oh that was actually okay you know <laughs> there are other times I was like oh gosh guys I need to apologize because <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't know what I was thinking I wasn't thinking but um and I think just being able to have those conversations was so important for us yeah. Yeah. To be able to just say, you know what? I messed that one up. I shouldn't have handled it that way. Yeah. I'm sorry. Let me, let me figure out a better way to do this in the future. Yes. Yeah. And your children will give you more grace than you ever imagined. Cause you know, I think sometimes we, we imagine them like, Oh mom, how could you? Because that's what we would expect. Right. You know? And you know, Mike is when I apologize to them for all the things, there's so <laughs> many apologies. They're like, mom, it's okay. You know, we love you and you were doing your best and we understand. And I'm like, who are these amazing guys? <laughs> yeah. Our kids are so compassionate. And if we give them the opportunity to be compassionate, they most likely will. Yes. And they're going to take that same compassion and, you know, show it out there in the world because they've practiced it at home and they understand it at home. But if we never give them that opportunity, they'll go out there and they won't even understand what compassion is. Cause you know, we're innately, I think anyway, self-centered and have being able to show that compassion and get them to learn empathy and those kind of things is so important to, you know, an upbringing for socially adaptable children and resilient. Children. Yeah. And, and when we're compassionate with our children, we teach them to be compassionate with themselves. And that's probably one of the most important things. I think more important than taking it out in the world, because if they can be compassionate with themselves, then they will naturally take it out in, into the world and they'll be better at it too. That is so true. Megan, thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, because when it comes from the inside, there's nothing you can do, you know, like it's just part of them, right? It becomes part right. of who they are, their identity. And that's going to be a lot different than, you know, just somebody who's doing it because the world expects it or, you know, they think they should. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it, when it comes from a place that's inside of them, that's a much different result. And I was taught as a young girl to be compassionate to other people and to always put other people first and to put myself last. And so I got into this frame of mind where like, if I was standing in line, it's like, oh, you go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. And oh, you go ahead until, you know, I'm at the very end of the line and in front of this, you know, at the end of this long line of other people not getting my needs met ever. So if we teach our kids to meet their own needs first mm -hmm. and we teach them that they're valuable they're going to naturally take that out and, and treat other people well. But if we teach them that they should treat other people well, then where do they come in? It's like not until the end. Right. And then they're not sacrificing themselves for the betterment of others. They actually 
find a way to get that balance in there instead of letting everybody go ahead. You know, right. they may let the elderly or the pregnant lady go ahead, but not everyone. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, very cool. Wow. So when did you, when did this all click for you? So I know it was in therapy, but was it, and I know it was, you know, like after you had some children, but when it clicked, how did that change the way you behaved? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I had, I had so many layers of trauma that it really took me a long time to sort of circle back to the parenting thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I started modifying my parenting before I was in therapy. So that may have sort of been the beginning of it, of trying to like see things differently than the way they were presented to me as a child. Um, but I originally, I, the first thing that I went to therapy for was to try and repair my relationship with my parents. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like that came first and then everything else sort of followed backwards. So it was, I felt like I did it sort of in a backwards way. Cause I was like, let me fix this relationship. Oh, and then let me fix my marriage. Oh, and then let me fix my parenting. It was sort of like came to the end of it, but I had to, you know, I had to find a way of relating with the world that felt safe for me before I could really dig into, you know, making a lot of changes for me personally. So it was, you know, it's one of those things I tell people, like, you don't really know where to start when there's so much to address. And there's also not really an end to it. And we can't expect it to be this linear process that's like a steady upward trajectory of going from unhealth to health, because it just doesn't look like that it's messy and it's complicated and it has layers and it's tangled up and everything's connected with each other. So it's like, you know, you're going to start your healing process and you're going to find that you're going to be in a different place than you thought that you were going to be in. And you're going to work on something and then it's going to come up for you again later in a different situation. You're going to be like, Oh, I thought I fixed that already. And it's coming up again, you know, and even after 10 years or so of, you know, pretty intense therapy and healing and different modalities and everything, I still have things come up that I have to work on, you know, so I, I really like the fact that I worked with an EMDR therapist and that really helped to address the majority of my trauma so that I don't ever have to go back and work on those things again. But that doesn't mean that I, I don't still need somebody to talk to from time to time to figure out like, why does that bother me so much? Oh, it's because of this, you know, to go back and think about those things. Gotcha. Now, did you ever, cause you know, like you said, it's like this, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like a big tangled, <laughs> crazy mess. <laughs> right. Kind of roller coastering and then, you know, weaving and all of that. Um, did you ever feel like giving up? Oh yeah. All the time. And I think that's the main reason that I wrote my book is because I wanted people to know that like, no matter how deep it goes or how messy it seems that there is a way out and, and you will feel different than you feel right now. And for me, that was the, that was the most difficult thing because I was in a group therapy situation for a while. And I sort of looked around the group and I thought, you know, I was looking at the lives of all of these women, the different traumas that they'd been through and where they were in their lives. And I, I sort of felt like we were all kind of stuck in the same place. And I, I didn't feel confident that any of us were ever going to get out. <laughs> I felt like we were always going to be stuck in that same place forever. 
So I wrote my book because I wanted people to know that it is possible to find happiness and to find success and fulfillment and peaceful living after being stuck in such traumatic circumstances. So yeah, there were a lot of times when I wanted to give up because I felt like I felt stuck. And I also felt like there was so much to wade through. I felt like I was never going to end. And I felt like it was never going to be happy and normal. You know, <laughs> I don't like normal. It's like a setting on the dryer. Right. But I okay. wanted to have, a, I wanted to have the sort of life that I perceived other people having where they could just go through a normal day and, you know, get up, go to work, come home, have dinner, enjoy their family. I didn't think that that was ever going to be possible for me. I always thought, oh, I'm going to get up and I'm going to feel terrible and I'm going to have triggers and I'm going to have all these horrible things happen during the day. And then I'm going to be exhausted at the end of the day. And where do I find my peace? You know, I just didn't think it was possible, but it turns out it is. <laughs> you know what? And I think on that note, oh, I have, I have goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cause it is possible. And I want to end with possibility because I want people to understand no matter what you've been through, you know, just persevere. There's a light, find somebody to help you. Don't just stay there. Don't stay in it by yourself. You know, we're social beings. We need each other. Yeah. One of my very, very favorite quotes is by a German poet named Rilke. And he says, let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. No feeling is final. And so that's the way I walk through my life now. I know, I notice the beauty. I notice the terror and I experience it all, I learn from it all, I accept it all. And at the end of the day, I'm not gonna feel this way forever. So whether I feel happy or sad, that feeling's not gonna last. So I just experience it and love it in the moment. Oh my gosh, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Megan. Now, if there's one thing you want people to leave this moment with, what would that be? Oh, just definitely to keep going, just keep going because it's going to change. It's going to be different. And, you know, kind of like what I was just saying, whether it's happy or sad, it's going to change. If you learn to embrace change, then you learn to love and experience every single part of your life. Wonderful. Thank you, ma'am. And how can people find out more about you, your books? Yeah. So my website is third-verse.com third verse. And, um, I, I have my books there. I have lots of different resources. I have a little subscription where people can ask me questions and, um, I just have a little community there that I love and I do coaching as well. So people can find all my social media and everything on my website. Yeah. Cause they don't have to take 10 years to get to where you are. You can help them fast track that, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh gosh, 10 years. That's a long time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, thankfully, and I don't know, but you went through it so that they don't have to um, go through that, you know, because. Yeah, I mean, I definitely I can I can make it I can plug in resources that'll make it a little bit easier. I sort of had to start from scratch and find these things all on my own. I think it would have gone faster if I would have had somebody to sort of guide me through it a little better. Yes, definitely. You know, at least present you with some options. Right, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Here's what I know works. <laughs> exactly. That's right. And you know what? If it doesn't exactly work for you, this is how we know to tweak it. Right. So, you know, you don't start at zero. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, thanks again, Ms. Megan Connor. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here and to share with us. And oh, this has been, it's been a journey. And thank you for sharing that journey. Yeah, and thank you for having me. Yes, you are most welcome. And to our audience, listen, Megan has shared so much with you. Please tap into her, go to third-verse.com and, excuse me, avail yourself of the resources. Check out her book because again, you don't need to, you are, you're not staying in this. You're going through this. This is temporary. Okay. And please share this. Please share and comment. Let us know your thoughts. Okay, so you can parent with confidence.